listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello and welcome to this week's TNA podcast where we specialise with our European football, the Champions League and cover France, Italy, Spain, Germany, Holland, basically all things European. I'm the co-host Chris along with my co-host Riffwick. Here's the show. How, how are you Riffwick? All fine, Chris. A great uh, midweek Champions League action. I mean, I'm happy that Liverpool finally qualified as group toppers. It was a, was a tough group, so a lot of things to you know look look forward to. And it was a great week. Yeah, very intriguing week. If you include the Champions League results, and that's where we're going to start. I think there's only one place to start, and that's Real Madrid. Yeah. What an absolute disaster of a week for that club, Zidane. I mean, what's your opinion? What's your whole take on this? I mean, first of all, we'll start. We'll start off with both games, and and then, but what's next for this club and this team? Basically, it was it it was kind of a disaster in that last weekend against Alaves. They lost two 0 especially the manner in which they lost because they started the game so badly even Zidane said that this was probably their the their worst start to a game this season and they kind of i mean Alaves played really well i don't want to take any credit away from them but initially Madrid started slow and they they made a few bad mistakes as well in defense especially that Kotoa mistake which gave uh, Alaves the second goal as well. So, I mean, they started all poor. Late on, they kind of tried to get in back to the game. They didn't lost two 0 Bad start to league season, especially coming in as champions because they were one of the favorites to win the league anyway. And I mean, if if you look at the season statistically, they've not kind of been very bad. Uh, they they are fourth in the table right now. Ten goals, five wins, two draws, and three losses. Sixteen goals scored, twelve conceded with seventeen points. Karim Benzema top scorer with four goals in the league. And in terms of shots on target per ninety as well, they are third behind Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. Even in terms of the non-penalty expected goals per ninety, again they are second right behind Barcelona. So. Attacking on the attacking front, they are not really bad, but I think they could probably score more goals. They need more help, and Tony Cruz has been really good this season, but I've not seen anyone else step up. And there's an evident lack of leadership when they don't have Sergio Ramos playing. Real Madrid with Sergio Ramos and without Sergio Ramos, there's a huge, huge gap. There's a huge hole there without Sergio Ramos, and that's leadership. Be the defense, be the overall mentality of the team, and that's what we saw against Shakhtar. Shakhtar scored five goals in total in this group, in this Champions League campaign, and all five against Real Madrid. I mean, after what happened against Alaves in the weekend, I mean, this was probably the worst outcome, right? So, I mean, there's a lot happening. I mean, Eden Hazard injured again and again. I mean that's 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 another huge topic to be honest. I don't want to dig dig deep into that, but according to stats where I, I mean, which I looked from transfer market, in his whole Chelsea career, he he missed just 20 games in total through injury. 
last season with real madrid his first season with real madrid which is the last season he missed 26 games this season he's yeah. missed almost 15 games so that's 41 games in two season already and his second season is incomplete yet so i don't know it's 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 there's a lot of things happening there and they've not invested this summer as well so i don't know this this is there's a clear and certain lack of leadership when they don't have sergio ramos this 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 lots of things that needs fixing and i don't think sacking zidane is the right option at this moment it's a bad patch it's a transition period to be honest and i think probably them winning the league last year kind of set uh, too much expectations going into the season as well yeah i mean i i agree with the point that you made i mean some of the points that you made at the start there real madrid are everything that happens to them always gets amplified because of the size of the club the size of the manager the size of the players always so the their season's not over and it, we all know in the spanish league as as good as what it has been to see other teams competing at the top it's not going to take them a massive turn around to get them to the top so you made some very good points there and you've mentioned that it's not the right time to sack zinedine zinedine zidane i mean the rumors are reflect that he, if he gets beat this weekend by seville it, it could be it could be it could be curtains for him i personally don't think it will be because i don't, i think there's a lack of a replacements but based on what you you've seen of them do you think this it just needs a whole new turnover in terms of players or do you think there's just maybe one or two positions they need to concentrate on um i i think there's this uh i mean they've been struck with injuries kawhal uh, ramos has been in and out as well left back is an issue when ferland mendy doesn't play marcelo isn't the same anymore he, he's in the same marcelo anymore uh, of two years back or three years back or the peak marcelo so he he's on a massive decline as well kawhal is a huge miss and i think we saw that against shakhtar as well so there was a huge hole defensively the way they conceded that second goal um, which solomon scored and that's a really good goal well taken goal but he ran all the way from center directly and shot inside the box i'm just inside the box and that shouldn't yeah. that shouldn't happen that shouldn't happen that shouldn't be happening as well so there's a huge hole in the defense and since Sergio Ramos is nearing the end of his career i think they need a center back eder militao is already there people would say that but i'm not i'm not 100% convinced with him as yet probably they need a right i mean yeah i think this 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 uh, there's an evident need of a right back ferland mendy at left back is a really good choice and i think that's that's okay for them they might yeah. go and trigger the buyback loss for regil on probably a couple of seasons from now but yeah i think this 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 probably additions required in defense but most importantly on the wings on down the wings as well and i and the way that they've started this season i definitely think that kylian mbappe is gonna you know receive a bid from the real madrid next summer kylian mbappe yeah. and probably erling haaland as well because they need strikers and they can't probably put all their weight on Karim Benzema i mean in term, in, in in the midfield as well luka modric again i mean he puts up some really amazing performances at times tony cruz has been the only consistent midfielder this season so far but yeah i think they need recruitments overall it's it's kind of a old squad i think the the, the core of the squad the core quality of the squad is 
kind of getting aged and they are probably into their late end of their careers as well so um i think mbappe probably should be a target that's 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 one area they they, they definitely need recruitment especially considering the way asad's uh, injury crisis has been so yeah. stri- they they probably might need a striker as well and i think they might look for erling haaland defense i like i said probably needed but i don't know if they they could probably go classic real madrid and sign five six players in one window that's next summer yeah. they, they haven't spent anything this summer midfield i think odegaard is they, they recall odegaard uh, they didn't send him out on loan this season and i think he i still think he's a really good player so i think i i think that's not a necessity there additions in midfield is not a necessity i think it's the attack is what they need to improve first and foremost yeah well yeah i mean you 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 mentioned Odegaard there. I thought the 60-minute appearance that he made at Inter Milan was fantastic. I thought he was really... I still see him... I know he played predominantly sort of right or left of centre for Real Sociedad, sort of out wide. But I still see him as the long-term successor playing in a similar role to Luka Modric. I would like to see him pushed into the centre. But yeah, you made some very good interesting points there. I mean, I think with Kylian Mbappe, it's only a matter of time. It's not if he if he moves to Real Madrid, but when I would I would hope for Erling Haaland's sake that he doesn't go to Real Madrid because I just don't see that working out for him. I really don't. But yeah, some interesting points that you've made there, and yeah, I'm quite intrigued to see what it is. I think it's good for Spanish football though that Real Madrid are not just dominating and Barcelona are not just dominating. I think it's really interesting. It will be even more interesting if they end up in the Europa League, uh, playing Thursday night football. But <laughs> that that would be funny, yeah. Yeah, another another uh, not not surprised, but obviously we all know now of your love for Liverpool. But another team in Liverpool's group, uh, Atalanta, have sort of we all know. I've stressed on previous podcast podcasts before my love for this team and the when the way they play. But unfortunately, this season just hasn't it just hasn't clicked for them. And I was quite surprised they didn't take advantage of Ajax getting beat the other night. They only drew with Michelin. So, leaves a little bit of a bit of an exciting time between them and Ajax. But I just wanted to know what your whole take is on Atalanta this year and why they haven't continued the good form that uh, they've shown over the last 18 months, two years. Um, I mean, there's a little bit inconsistency here with Atalanta this season. I mean, they started pretty well, isn't it? three wins and one loss in their first four league yeah. games since, since then they won just one two losses two draws they drew against pesia which was completely unexpected they drew against inter as well which was probably quite fair but two losses recently and the recent loss to hellas verona this past weekend uh, i did not watch the midjilan game I, i didn't get a chance to watch that because uh, yeah. the liverpool game was at the same time but that 1-1 draw is probably underwhelming as well because that puts uh, a little bit more pressure on them because if they had a one that would have been less pressure there and they are massively overperforming their xg expected goals but in terms of uh, psxg they are massively massively underperforming they are the second worst team behind torino there so they're leaking 
I, I mean, it's fair to say that they are very much leaking. And I, I, I watched the Hellas Verona game. Uh, I mean, I watched the full match highlights later on uh, in a in a in a fast forward manner, not not really fast forward manner, but yeah, I kind of caught the whole game. And there were chances for Atlanta. You 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 can't say that they didn't have chances, but they did not take them. Ilicic had yeah. a really really big chance early, and I think if there if that was last season, I think Ilicic puts that one in. because he was so high on confidence and that was a big big miss the worst chances for muriel as well uh, hatabor i think had one header as well which is not a big chance but yeah they had a few chances from crosses corners etc but they did not take and they considered a very poor penalty uh, which uh, the 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 foul on zakagni which veloso scored then for the second goal as well it was a nice combination play from miguel veloso and zakagni for hellas verona and they are a surprise team this season hellas verona and with that win they they jumped ahead of atlanta in the league table yeah. but but yeah i mean it's it's a, it's quite an intriguing start because the way they played against liverpool last week was fantastic they completely shut liverpool off because liverpool couldn't break their lines properly liverpool they they forced liverpool to play slow passes they forced liverpool to slow down the game and not kind of you know they they kind of settled down and papu gomes was brilliant and i don't know i mean it's 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 quite an intriguing case atalanta chris like i said they're massively underperforming their psxc so i think the defense isn't exactly working as expected and although they are scoring lots maybe scoring enough goals as well uh, punching above their weight in that department Uh, I think they need to probably, you know, tighten up their defense and yeah. And it's it's uh, and considering all that's happened, the, the the I mean the very short break because Serie A was probably extended for a longer period than the Premier League, and then they had Champions League fixture against PSG, less break, less preseason yeah. coming into this season again. Then Ilicic was out uh, due to personal reasons as well. So yeah. The, a lot of things has happened so i think they might finally end up in the top 4 or probably probably could push uh, for a title challenge uh, because this is still early season i mean and yeah. even the serie a table is looking completely you know bonkers right now yeah well you, you mentioned you mentioned there the the issues that they had towards the end of last season and i think illicit missing for those games i think it was five games he missed in total i mean they could have even won the league given the way inter and juventus seemed to fail or squander their chances at the end of last season if if atalanta had a little there was an opportunity there but what you mentioned there about the break and the way this uh, and the, the way the fixtures fell fell in serie and the short pre-season atalanta plays such a unique style a football uh with the sort of man to man marking all over the pitch pressing all over the pitch and then high tempo once in possession it really is quite unique and i imagine that would take a lot of specific training or a lot of specific coaching on the training field and i just think the new players that they've got have have failed to sort of they're still getting integrated into that system and given the issues that they've had with players injuries and covid i think that's showing when when that first 11 is available isn't available i think that is showing when they're playing and i also think a little bit 
obviously you mentioned the game against Liverpool. The first game against Liverpool where they went toe-to-toe with Liverpool, like we expect, they got beat 5-0. I actually think Liverpool, that affected them as well because I watched them after that against Inter Milan and I watched them against uh, Spezia and they just didn't look the same team. And I just thought, oh, have Liverpool got into their heads a little bit here? Uh, have they uh, have they lost confidence as a result of that five 0 loss? So I, for one, hope that they turn this round because for me they they've been the most entertaining team in Europe for the last eighteen months at least. So it it will be it'll be disappointing if this is the end of the role for Atalanta. I would really hope the way they can keep building as a club. But you mentioned as well there that yeah the whole Serie A table at the moment is bonkers, and as you know. Juventus have won it for the last eight seasons now. Do you think we could see a new winner this year? Um, that's a that's a really tricky question as well, Chris. Um, uh, so yes, I do think um, there could be new champions, and I think it will finally boil down to four teams, which is Milan, Inter, Juventus, and Atalanta. Also, I I I think they'll finally, like you said. I think the team is still finding their rhythm, so I think finally they will be yeah. there in the mix. I don't see Lazio being there this season, no. and they, they, Napoli might probably creep in, but I don't think they're still 100% ready yet for that title challenge. Sassuolo is a tricky team as well, but for me, the sure shot contenders will be Milan, Inter, Juventus, and Atalanta. And Milan started absolutely in amazing fashion. They've not lost a single yeah. game in the league this season, and the impact that Zlatan Ibrahimovic has had on the team. Pure, I mean, they said no to Ralf Rangnick in the end. A big U-turn giving Stefan Pioli that chance again. And he's kind of repaid it so well. They've changed their the way they play. They have some really amazing quick counter-attacks right now at times. The way they, they, they've changed their transition. So, they, they press, they get the ball and the... Transition play is so smooth, so fast. So I mean, I I, I, I see a few. In, I mean, I saw a few instances of Milan's play, and 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 one very very promising thing which I saw was how quick their transition play has been now compared to probably uh, a 12 months ago because they had yeah. players who didn't have much pace, and I think I mentioned it to a few Milan fans then because they there itself that they needed someone with pace, they needed someone. Who could inject pace and you know initiate those fast counter attacks? Maybe make smoother transition, transition smoother as well. They are passing it pretty fast as well. So they scored recently scored a goal where they kind of pressed, got the ball, and they put it in the back of the net within eight seconds after getting the ball. So that's that's a kind of football that AC Milan is playing right now. They they played pretty well in the derby as well, and. Yeah, I think this probably could be a revival season for them. But this this is a long season. They played just nine games so far in the Serie A. So I mean, I would probably wait till mid January before you know boiling down to picking two or three uh, sure shot contenders. But I think the probability of seeing new champions is very high considering a lot of things. Even for Juventus, they have Andrea Pirlo, who's, 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 man, I mean, who's in his first year of yeah. football management. Yeah. And they very much drafted in at the last minute. Just to mention that Mil- Milan haven't lost a game since March. It's not just the, the start of the season. 
very much picked up where they left off last season. They haven't lost a game since March last season. I believe it was, I'm not sure if it was January or not, but you, you mentioned the the, uh, the effect of Zlatan there. And I think, I've, I think his fitness and his ability to play the play the whole season will uh, certainly dictate how they finish but it will be an interesting story if Juventus don't can't maintain their league dominance uh, with Andrea Pirlo given that given the fact that Sarri only got the one season himself and moving on uh, we have a few Patreon questions from our Patreon Dieter and he would like to know if we whether Bayern Munich can win the Champions League again? Why not? I mean, I mean that's again, uh, that's again a tricky question from Dieter. I mean, his questions are always tricky and really interesting. So you probably have to think a bit. But that's that's hundred percent sure. I think Bayern could definitely win the Champions League. They are clearly favourites as well, despite losing Thiago Alcantara in the summer. And I mean, Hosho Kimmich is a big miss, but I've heard that. Uh, that he he started light training and he might be back probably mid January or end of January, and the Champions League goes on a break and restarts in early February if I'm not wrong. So why not? But Bayern won't have the usual long winter break because they are gonna take part in the Club World Cup if I'm not wrong. Uh, so yeah. so yeah, I think in terms of labeling Bayern as favorites. That's their hundred percent, but this is a very, you know, very very tricky season, and the Champions League is always full of surprises. So I wouldn't say hundred percent Bayern Munich, but because they they they've been challenged pretty well in the group, Salzburg outplayed them to be honest. Although Bayern ran out winners, but even Atletico had a really good game against Bayern uh, this this week, and they were I I would probably call Atleti a bit unlucky to not go with all three points as well. So, yeah. yes, there they, was they have... No, the, go on. I was going to say, there was some notable absences though for Bayern Munich, given, yeah. their, given their fixture against Leipzig this weekend. I mean, Neuer and Lewandowski both stayed at home. So, I thought, I, I, sorry to cut you off there. I thought Atletico Madrid should have actually done better, given Bayern Munich's start on lineup. I actually think Atletico Madrid should have won that game. And that'll be a massive. That's a massive two points drop for them. But sorry to cut you off there, Riff. Go on, carry on, mate. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, I mean, I just I was again gonna tell the same point again. Atleti should have won that game considering the absentees, like you said. But yeah, coming back to Dieter's point, Bayern are 100% contenders. I think Chelsea are as well because they are a surprise package this season. New players, but Frank Lampard's finally. I don't know. I mean, probably I might be a little too early to say this because they've got a really good run of fixtures coming in in December in the Premier League, which which will probably test waters for them because they haven't faced a really tough set of teams so far in the league or the Champions League. I mean, say the win again. I mean, I'm, I I won't take any credit away from the way Lampard set his team yeah. up because they're facing less shots. Uh, Mendy has been really influential. The defense has been solid. I think they finally. Found uh, found the right way to execute that 4-3-3, which Lampard loves so much. Uh, and yeah. Kante is finally finding his stride back again. So, a lot of positives for Chelsea, but might be too early. So, I think likes of Chelsea, Liverpool are still a threat, I would say, for Bayern. Um, 
yeah so you have teams like this and atleti despite their contrasting champions league form comparing it to their league form i think they they, they still pose a threat as well semione so yeah by bayern won't be clear and sure shot runners they will have challenges but they are 100% the champions league yeah. contender I can't argue with any of the points that you've made there or the teams that you've said. I think I think the interesting thing about the Champions League is you don't have to be the be- you don't have to be the best team to win it. Bayern Munich are probably the number one team in Europe right now, but that 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 doesn't mean anything in the Champions League. It really doesn't. I think I think you need a good defense to win it. I think the Real Madrid team are, is in a, of the the three titles in a row, the three uh, the three Champions League in a row. They, they just Manage. They were a prime example of not being the best team in Europe. They just had the know-how to get through each game, especially in that knockout yeah. stage. We all know back in 2005, that team that won that year was nowhere near the best team in Europe. So, hundred percent, yeah. I mean, they weren't even the best team in Merseyside that year, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And for our final question, uh, we've got something a little bit different this week for our listeners. Uh, a little bit of a special feature and it's uh, a conversation that I had with uh, a special guest in the name of Mark Lambitz. Now, if any of you don't know Mark, he is a sports analyst and scout for Venlo in the Eredivisie in Holland and carry on listening and listen to my chat with Mark. This is how it goes. Okay then. So, right Mark, we've got you on today's show to discuss Vitesse Arnhem and their excellent start to the mm-hmm. Eredivisie season. Uh, one of our patrons, Dieter, has, pr- has presented us with a question, which yeah. is, can they challenge for the title this season? Well, that's a rather interesting question from Dieter. I would say not yet. And the reason why is that Ajax is on a level at the moment, I think, that they are way above everyone else and um, the usual title challengers would be uh, PSV uh, Feyenoord is a big of a club but not nearly as successful in the last few years but could in a season where everything goes right could challenge for the title AZ is a very uh, good team that could challenge for the title so that would be like yeah. the four clubs I would have in mind that could uh, potentially fight for it Vitesse has gone a few has gone in a level that I would say is is very good. Um, they have uh, spoken about title challenging uh, like ten years ago uh, with former owners. Um, I think the potential to be a very very big club in the Netherlands is there, obviously. But um, I just think in top football, uh, you can see it in the Netherlands, but also like in the Champions League. You're only as good as how good your reserves are or how good your, your bench is, uh, yeah. your substitutions. So, for example, PSV or Ajax could field a very good team from their substitutions. And I'm not sure uh, Vitesse could do that. Like, would it maintain the quality or would it digress or improve their quality if they substitutions uh, go in? So I don't think they are there yet. Uh, they could, could definitely make it difficult for the top teams. They could definitely uh, end in the top three. 
Uh, they could definitely make steps to be a bigger club. And in a few years' time, if they progress like this, with uh, like a manager, uh, a sporting director with progressive ideas, they could be title challenger in the near future. But I don't think it will happen this season. Right, right. Well, that's quite interesting. There. So what you you what you uh, explained mm-hmm. is that. This is not necessarily what you would call a flash in a pan start, where some team just builds momentum and gathers uh, gathers confidence. You actually believe that this could be the start of something that may project into maybe a team becoming more competitive two or three years down the line. Yeah, we we saw this with Vitesse in the past when they got new owners and got a lot more money in in the club. And the thing is. They have to be stable. You, to progress, you have to be stable. And AZ was where Vitesse was a few years ago. And Utrecht is also in that area with Vitesse at the yeah. moment. So, but you have to be a stable club and progress each and every season to become even better and become uh, a title contender. So you have to work on several things. You have to work in your academy. You have to work on getting players in who will stay more than one season. You have to have players with ambition who want to stay with your team. I believe yeah. with the managerial changes and the sporting director coming in, they have a, a team, a club, a backstaff uh, with very progressive football, footballing ideas. They can challenge um, every team in a game within the Netherlands uh, but it is, it's very important to get experience on the top of this league experience in Europe um, I think that will be very good for them and I don't think it's a flash in the pan just a good start I think they can really end in top three uh, definitely top five but I, I just don't see them challenging for the title just yet but they are yeah. quality side and if the, if the manager stays for another year or two years they definitely can grow into that role of challenging or structural top three. Yeah, uh, I mean we'll we'll touch upon the manager in a minute because it, yeah. it's quite it's quite uh, in, he's quite an interesting figure himself. Yeah. Uh, given given that they they have made the start of a test that they have, and yeah. I believe this weekend's win actually prompted them to equal a club record points tally. For the start mm-hmm. of the season, if mm-hmm. I'm correct, are, are the board sharing a similar view to say someone like yourself that this is just a start, or are they expecting to now turn to? Are they expecting the test to now be that say fourth, fourth club in Holland behind Ajax, PSV, and Feyenoord? Well, I think their their task, uh, their main objective is uh, get European football. Yeah. Uh, and that's the most important thing. Get European football for at least a few, a couple of seasons uh, after each other. So yeah. that's that's the way how you can grow. You get more revenue uh, from, from European clubs. You get more uh, income. More better players will come to Vitesse because they are playing European football. I think that's a very yeah. main objective. Uh, I don't think they are. I think they are comfortable in the fourth or fifth place. Right now, yeah. they, uh, that's a good objective, I think. But I don't think the board expects them to, you know, be the runner-up or be third or expect to win at home against Ajax. Or uh, that's not something they are 
it's not the main objective. Okay, so hopefully then the board show a little bit of patience there and shall and actually anticipate that this could be the start of something as opposed to we want it now and just try and which you, which you see in most leagues around Europe, especially someone here, especially in in, in the Premier League, they mm. sort of they get pound signs or euro signs uh, um, in their eyes and sort of covers up any kind of clever thinking, so to speak. Um, and they give the manager time. Now, the manager is Thomas Lech. Am yeah. I pronouncing that right? Lech, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was quite intrigued when I was re- reading up on it, uh, given the start that he's had. He's got, he's a German manager for any viewers that, uh, or sorry, any listeners that don't know about him. But he's quite, he's got quite a lot of experience under mm. the Red Bull umbrella with Salzburg. Yeah. With yeah. the under 18 team and I believe it was the under under 16 team is that is that very much has he influenced uh, do you think any kind of experience and influence from that approach that Red Bull use at Salzburg and Leipzig of course to Vitesse and is that something that they're trying to not copy but follow in the footsteps of definitely um, first of all um, I think Lech is a very good uh, trainer manager to come to the Eredivisie, just like PSV's uh, Roger Schmidt, who also yeah. has, uh, has successes with Salzburg. So they are tactically very innovative for our league. Um, on the on the case of Lech, I think he has definitely tried to build something that he has learned, not the d- typical Dutch school, not the typical... Ajax way of footballing or the Dutch national team uh, likes to play yeah. or how, what we learn in their cam- academies. They have their own style, their own principles, their own idea of how football should be played. And also the sporting director com- coming in from Hoffenheim, um, they have s- sought to be a different team in this league. So, for example, playing three at the back uh, against teams you can beat easily or and play against Ajax PSV with five at the back. This is a thing we in the Netherlands don't really like to do. We like to play with yeah. four at the back and uh, three in the midfield and three in attack, plainly said. So every any team that, that changes that up is always a team worth looking uh, into. But I really yeah. think that the style of, of, of the Rebel uh, Rebel teams definitely can be seen in this Vitesse team and the, the way to adapt to different situations in games and really uh, pressing the opponents in uh, different levels and areas of the field. That's definitely something um, yeah, Vitesse does. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think, obviously, the Netherlands brings such a, a unique style of coaching and Mm-hmm. A style of coaching that is revered all around Europe, um, given its history uh, of total football with Michael, uh, Rienus Michels and Johan Cruyff mm-hmm. and then various other disciples that it's influenced around Europe and around world football. But in recent times, we, we've not really seen that development, maybe not only from the play, playing side of things, uh, not only from play, players individually, but the success. I know Ajax had that one good year where they where they reached the semi final Champions League, but yeah. also within uh, within managers as well. 
is this something now that the Eredivisie needs and maybe looking to broaden the horizons with by getting different types of coaches such as Thomas Lech and the mentioned Roger Smith there in from abroad? Um, difficult to say. Um, yeah. Yeah, a few years back, we had a few successful coaches in on international uh, leagues uh, and the top five leagues and Dutch yeah. uh, managers were very revered for that. But yeah. it has changed. Uh, the likes of Guardiola has, has come in, obviously, but also uh, Jurgen Klopp and um, you see uh, Julian Nagelsmann. They are, they are, I think, on a different level than uh, we used to do. So we have yeah. to adapt to that too. And I think the Dutch league or Dutch trainers, Dutch managers haven't adapted to that well enough yet. So yeah. clubs will look for that more progressive idea of football, a more uh, progressive idea of how to coach a team. So that's why, yeah. for example, um, Heracles Almelo has a Dutch coach who has rather progressive ideas. Now, Vitesse, PSV, they tend to have progress, more progressive ideas and trainers. And I'm sure yes. I'm sure, uh, Feyenoord will look for someone more progressive than Dick Advocaat, obviously, uh, as yeah. a wider <laughs> progressive uh, coach in Arneslot. So I think that's the way we should look uh, at the moment. And, and yeah. adapt and change the way of thinking in Dutch uh, trainers. Yeah, because Dutch culture is very much were considered very much ahead of ahead of the rest of the world, really, in terms mm-hmm. of the the development of football and their tactical nous and, and and the way they wanted football to be played. Probably right up until the nineties, and obviously there was that great Ajax team with Louis Van Gaal. But um, and as well, the good thing about what I always admired about Dutch football is that they stay style. Yeah. Um, every one of the clubs, uh, they believed in bringing youth players through and they believed in playing that f- famous 4-3-3, uh, which could evolve sometimes to a 3-4-3, of course. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me, specifically mentioned the coaches that you mentioned there, like Nagelsmann and Guardiola, have took some of the principles of that Dutch philosophy, a lot philosophy sorry mm-hmm. and then applied their own thoughts to it and then actually evolved it in their own way but the Dutch have yet to sort of adapt to that and it was interesting to see you to see your thoughts or listen to your thoughts on that then because mm-hmm. it, I do think it is something that Dutch football needs needs to happen in the future just that evolution and that next step and I felt when I watched Ajax the other year under Eric Ten Hag that was probably the first Dutch team that I watched on that scale that I thought, oh, there's a little bit more. This is not necessarily the same as, say, a Cruyff Ajax or a Van Gaal Ajax. No, definitely not. So, that, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And before we, want, before we finish, I just want to touch on Ajax. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it's not unusual to look at, uh, look at Ajax at top of the, the Eredivisie this year. Fantastic start, uh, and they'll surely go on to win it. But when you listen to the the director of football speak, or you listen to the Dutch media speak about Ajax, they're still very much they they're considering this uh, a transition season, mm-hmm. um, just due to the type of players that have left. They're looking to build up their next big squad. I just wanted to know what your thoughts were would be on Eric Ten Hag and whether. He's likely to fulfil that next squad 
and take it forward? Or is he just waiting now for the next good opportunity that comes his way or for someone to take a, a punt on him for well, him to leave? Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I think he could do well within the club for a couple of yeah. years, definitely. He could uh, bring people in from the academy, evolve them, and make them better. Uh, and that's where, where, where the club is at this moment in European football. Yeah. I think talent and signing them, selling them, uh, and progressing. But yeah. I think he could definitely go to another club. He could do a really good top club in Europe. But I'm not sure because I'm not, I've not seen him work with different set of players, with different qualities, like real top players with different characters. Yeah. So I think within Dutch football, a lot of the players have the same kind of character. So they are desire to have a kind of mentality. I'm not sure he can handle that quite right yet. Yeah. But obviously the tactical mind and the, and the, the way he views the game is there. Obviously, yeah. go to the top, very much so. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're always going to see an Ajax manager that is linked with Barcelona, just given the relationship and the history of the two clubs mm-hmm. and the connection there. He's been, he worked at Bayern Munich's second team, which I think eventually would be a good move for him to go to that type of club, but only when the time is right. Obviously, Hansi Flick is doing his own thing at Bayern Munich at the moment, so I can't imagine them ever looking to change him too soon but mm. yeah I, I would like to see him to, I, I would like to see him stay in a similar environment to, to Ajax but maybe on a different profile so the German league or the Spanish league where his style of play would actually be a bit more effective rather than him say going to Italy or to England but I mean that's my own personal view I'm a big fan of the way his Ajax team plays and it'll be interesting to see whether they can build upon last night's um, results at Anfield, which I thought they were very unlucky with, and actually progress in Europe again this season. Yeah, I mean, I think Den Haag has shown different qualities, obviously, but I actually has shown it to the world, you know, on a European stage. But with Utrecht and also with Go Ahead Eagles, who currently play in the, in the second tier, he has shown to create success with different mentalities, different set of players. Uh, you know, so he knows how to deal with different styles of play and different mentalities within leagues, I think. So I don't think that will be a problem. But how do, does he deal with players? Like, for, for example, he, he had Tadis and Ziyech, which were absolute characters within that, in that squad. But how do you, does he deal with if he has 20 of those strong characters in the squad? Yeah. How does he manage them? So... Uh, so I think that that's the challenge for him. That's yeah. the only doubt I have for him going to the top. Yeah. Yeah. And last but not least, Mark, uh, I think it'll be, I think we've got to ask what you think of the Netherlands chances in the European Championship next season. Whew. Um, I don't know, really. Um it's surely it's just got to be great to see them back in the competition after the, yeah. uh, quite a short absence. But yeah, you know what it is. I'm sure you can relate to a different type of expectation. But you know, when England go to a championship or 
any other great team that has previously won a championship. They are expected yeah. to get to a, a certain stage of the tournament. Yeah. And uh, we have lost, for example, we have lost two uh, World Cup finals. We won a European Cup. Uh, obviously, oh, we lost even three World Cup finals. Three World uh, Cup finals, yeah. Yeah, so there's always an expectation for us to be in the conversation of winning it. So even though we l- missed the last two international tournaments, we are we have to be in a conversation to to be the final four. So with Ronald Koeman, he he was a d- really a, like a good coach because he he threw through that whole idea of we have to play beautifully in the in the typical school away, and he he set results. We need to get yeah. results. And Frank de Boer is uh, a different kind of coach. We, we will also play for the result. Uh, Louis van Gaal did that really good in 2014. That was a, yeah. it's a team that was built on result. Uh, he, he, he substituted the keepers. He, he made sure that Dierkite was playing right or left back. That was a really different yeah. mindset. But the task was winning and we, we won a lot. So that's the main thing. I, I'm not sure we're going to progress to the semifinals or whatever, but I think we should be, be able to, you know, get past the groups. And from then on, who knows how we play then, which players are available, what system will be and how, how strong we uh, are tactically. Uh, but I think yeah. we should be able to, you know, go get behind past the, uh, the group stage. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I, I think it's just fantastic to see uh, Holland back in competition. Uh, I think they're, they're a nation that we very much m- miss, not just because of the fans, but because of the type of players that they bring to the table and the type of cultures that they produce as well. I am um, mm-hmm. personally with you. I, th- I think they've got a very good first eleven that can compete. Mm. Other than that, though, if they would get some key injuries in certain areas, I don't think they've got quite got the maybe the 22-man squad that other nations have at this time to actually progress further than. So I think the semi-finals would be an excellent achievement for them. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. Well, that just brings an end to this week's show. I want to say a very special thank you to yourself, Mark, for agreeing to come on and yeah, have this little me. chat with us. Okay. Yeah. And hopefully we can get you on again in the future. Yeah, Mark, definitely. And we can have a, we can have a chat about with Tess Arnhem. We're lifting the league title at the end of the year, maybe. <laughs> that would be an enormous surprise. Yeah, would that be would that be a bigger achievement than Leicester's in the Premier League? That's hard. Uh, no, I, that's hard to say. Um, maybe, maybe yeah. not. It, it ha- uh, it hasn't happened a lot that a, a team can come in and surprise in the whole season here, over here. Yeah. So it's all kind of predictable. Just a, or obviously, uh, just a few teams in the mix who can do that every year. So I wouldn't say it will be a bigger upset or surprise than Leicester winning it because that was um, yeah unprecedented. Uh, I think um, oh, unprecedented, not expected, but definitely a really big surprise if we saw that. Okay, well, that's excellent. Well, I just want to say thank you once again, Mark, and I want to say thank you to our listeners. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the show.